Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim G.K. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a series of OCP composers, Oregon Catholic Press, out of uh, Portland, Oregon. This whole week, we're going to feature an artist a day uh, from the catalog, from the Hispanic uh, music category. Uh, if you have any questions, please call in at 347-324-3460, 347-324-3460, or you can pose your question in the chat room and I can go ahead and read the information on the air. Again, today our guest is Santiago Fernandez. Uh, he's a composer with OCP. So, Santiago, welcome to the program. Uh, hi, uh, Tim. Thank you for having me. A pleasure, pleasure to be, great. To be with you today. Yeah, we, great. Um, apologies, we have a little, some technical issues because I think because of the holiday and mail and so forth, but uh, I think we'll be okay. Well, at the beginning... Uh, to begin with, tell us about yourself, how you guys started into liturgical music. I am uh, originally from uh, Mexico. I was born and raised in Mexico City. I've been in the U.S. for uh, 26 years. And wow. uh, it's something that I, I basically did music in church my whole life since I was a kid. My mom kind of uh, helped me see that, you know, it was a talent. It was it was a gift to be shared. And so I was from a, from an early age kind of... Uh, uh, told to to contribute and to and to share and so to me it was natural to just be in the church playing and singing and in my teenage years i i discovered that i had an inclination toward uh, writing music and so i started writing songs and uh and you know eventually those songs ended up getting published and, and i have that great privilege of working with ocp as you mentioned they helped me amplify my my ministry and publish my songs and and we have a, a nice collaboration going well, let's step back for a area. moment and, okay. uh, and uh, write music, and it's all, all liturgical contemporary music in Spanish. My work is uh, with the Hispanic community, as you pointed out. Okay. Kind of tell us, uh, take us back for a moment, uh, coming from Mexico City. You've been in the States now for, what, 25 years? Yeah, 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Tell us what the difference is. Now, I know this. Uh, I inherited a Hispanic ministry. And I, you know, I never knew, maybe uh, probably dumb of me, didn't know that there were so many cultures within the uh, the Hispanic culture, uh, from Mexico, the Caribbean, and even the language differences, the musical style differences, and they're all different. Kind of tell us on your perspective, why is the differences, uh, uh, like even for Canto? Even the new edition has the different styles. Tell us about the different styles, if you don't mind, uh, so we can kind of wrap our head around it. Sure, absolutely. You're right. Uh, having grown up in Mexico, you know, music was one way, and it was really done a certain way, and, and that was it. I didn't have the benefit that I have now of being exposed to Puerto Ricans and Colombians and Venezuelans and Peruvians and, 
And, and so the music that we do in the U.S. has to reflect all of that. You can't be at Paris and do music that is strictly Puerto Rican or Mexican because the communities are so diverse. And so to me, that's been a great blessing. It's been a great opportunity to also grow musically, stylistically. Uh, I've embraced, you know, learning different rhythms and different styles from, from, from other Latin American cultures. Uh, and so the way the church is now if you really are to be inclusive with everything that you do as a musician, as a pastoral musician, if you are to be welcoming and hospitable, that's something that's kind of become a must. You you need to adapt to the different languages and styles, uh, even within the Latin culture, you know, because we do bilingual music, and a lot of the Latin kids with Hispanic names that are growing up here are more comfortable with the English music, and so language even becomes an issue. And uh, as you as you well said, it, it is a challenge. It is, it's an ongoing challenge to, to, to speak to everyone who's gathered at the table, who's present at, as, as members of the assembly. But that's our job. I mean, I, I like to, to, to push myself a little, to always be learning, to always be absorbing new styles, because I know that that's the, the, the challenge out there if you're, if you're really serving a diverse community. You know, I really commend OCP for Florian Canto uh, and it, it, it addressing the need of having a music for growing population and I was telling some other people just recently in the interview, the Catholic Church has really grown within the last twenty years. Uh we've never if you go back fifteen to sixteen years ago, we never had communities at nine thousand families. Uh I mean two thousand at the high end, yes, uh we maybe had some approaching three thousand, but we've never had uh, communities six to nine thousand families, the mega cities on them on their own. And I remember uh, one church uh, in Houston. Uh, it's a suburban church far out from downtown Houston, probably forty miles out in the suburb, and they were running tracks of uh, uh, that was fifteen minute increments of masses. They had six English masses a weekend, six Spanish language masses for a weekend, and they they flow in 15-minute increments. So you have a 5 o'clock, and then you have maybe a uh, – Saturday is a lot easier. It's like 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock, but they have in two different places, one in the hall and one in the church. Then on Sunday mornings, it's just rotate from church to uh, to – uh, community center, and they just vary in those increments, and you have a whole day that's full. That church at that time was sitting at with those many masses. Uh, they were at, I think, by four thousand, but almost four thousand families. I can't imagine that was almost fifteen years ago. What it's like today? Uh, is it something? Uh, what is causing? Uh, the church to expand so rapidly, in your opinion. Yeah, incredible growth, like you mentioned. And even if you if you think Hispanic and the Hispanic community, you know, the official statistic is like, you know, 40% of the Catholic Church is Hispanic. But that's based on census figures, and that's, a, you know, a, a few years old. That came out in 2009. And, and we know that the reality is always, you know, it, it, there are more people than, than, than they count. And so it's basically almost half of the Catholic Church is, is practically Hispanic. And so the growth that you're speaking of is really noticeable in multicultural uh, you know, settings. And naturally, Hispanics that are in an urban setting that live in the inner city, 
they want the same thing we all want. They want to be able to have a better life and move out into the suburbs and give their children a better education. So as they do that, these traditionally white Euro-American suburban parishes are becoming multicultural. It's an interesting phenomenon. And, and the challenge for us is to pastorally meet these folks as they arrive into these new parishes to truly make them feel welcome, to truly make them feel at home. Because a lot of times they, these communities just don't know what to do. They don't have anyone who speaks Spanish. They don't, they don't know how to address the issue. And, and luckily for us as musicians, music is really a wonderful way to address the issue. You learn a bilingual song and you sing it, and without having to say anything, you're already welcoming people and making everyone feel at home. It's, it's wonderful. It really works great. What advice do you have for a parish who's, who want to embrace and uh, want to you know embrace Hispanics to come to their parish. Uh, some par- uh, some parishes are really really afraid because oh my gosh we have to offer a bilingual mass and uh, then we have to look at the cost of additional resources, uh, books, materials. Everything has to be done in duplicate and dual languages. What advice do you have them if they at that very and you, you're on the fence because there's a cost related to that. Um, there's a cost of having someone to translate things into Spanish language itself that you already have prepared in English. Any advice that you have as a uh, some struggle, some are trying to figure out what to do, what advice do you have for them if they want to offer a Spanish language mass? What a great and, question. And then deal with the community after that. Well, the, the first thing, Tim, is that if they're wondering what to do, they're already doing the right thing, which is not ignoring this influx of, of, of uh, you know, people who speak a different language and, 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 and look and worship in, in different ways, uh, certainly different than they're used to. My advice would be to do something genuine, whatever it is, to do it genuinely, to not make it feel like tokenism, you know, uh, in, in the way you welcome and in your hospitality ministers. And you're right in having somebody volunteer to translate a few words for the bulletin and having the music uh, ministry team learn a couple of bilingual songs that are really not that difficult. And OCP is wonderful at making these things accessible and available to people uh, so, that, so that it's a, a manageable task. But the, the most important thing, and, and when they ask me this question, this is what I, what I tell folks, identify two or three people that you can team up with. There's always, as these communities move out into the, the suburbs and everything, there's always one or two key people a patriarch in the community that is well-known and well-respected, a matriarch. Identify these folks who can link you to the incoming community so that you can figure out exactly what the need is and not presume to know what the need is. It's very different to say this is what we think we should do versus saying this is what we hear from the community that we need to do to adapt to this new reality, to welcome people with open arms, to make it a wonderful thing for everyone. So in a very positive light, in a very positive way, Team up with people who you know can help you, and then your welcome is going to be that much, that much more genuine and real to people coming in. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So get that person in place, and if you want to offer a mass and the priest can't speak Spanish, uh, should they go, go outside and get someone to come in uh, to go in and speak the Spanish, or should they offer English language and do um, Spanish language songs. Does that make sense? Sure. That, that would As be a first step. As an introduction, a first step. 
as an introduction. Sure, and of course, people are afraid that then you know, there will be requests for, for sacraments. Uh, you know, First communion in Spanish, what do you do? Baptism, baptisms in Spanish, what do you do? Baby steps, I think that those are great, great first few steps. You know, have, have a, a few songs in the repertory. Have, even if, they, if, if the community cannot uh, immediately make a mass available to folks uh, you know, that is multilingual, Maybe there can be a group of some sort, uh, a Bible study group, uh, a group that gathers to pray the rosary. Just something to tell the community we have this growing presence within our parish family. We're aware of it. We want to welcome them. We want to help them. We want, we want to learn from them so that this wonderful exchange of giftedness and, and, uh, and, and different identities and different uh, backgrounds and different you know ethnicities that all comes into play and, and if you people if you give people an opportunity to share and to talk and to be in the same place at the same time the magic kind of happens on its own it's beautiful wow so again if they do make their special effort just going to offer it in english and 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 then hire someone to do spanish language songs and that's the first step and then allow that community to build and then if you can get a person to can, come in to do the whole mass in Spanish, then the, you, the, communi- uh, the community will feel embraced, at least you make an effort. That's right. One time, I'll give you an example. I was playing in a, in a suburban church some time ago, some years ago, eight, ten years ago, and uh, it, was, it was second nature to me to use a bilingual song that was appropriate for the readings of the day uh, that really you know, captured the, the, the essence of, of what the message was. It, it was right for the liturgical season, and so I did a song called Pescador de Hombres, Lord, You Have Come to the Seashore. It's a very well-known song in the Hispanic community. It's one of those songs that you can sing anywhere in the Spanish-speaking world and people will know it, right? So I go to mm-hmm. do it and to do the bilingual song, and of course a lot of people were looking at me like, you know, what is this guy doing? Well, there are no Hispanics here, and they were giving me the eye, right? At the end of the Mass, this dear lady approached me, and she was a Hispanic woman, and she said, I can't tell you what that meant to me. I've been at this church for a long time, and I, really, I never really felt welcome until today because of the song, because of what the song said to me and spoke to me and directly to my heart. And I thought, you know, that's it. We can't get discouraged and pay attention to the people who don't like it and who are making us uncomfortable. We need to pay attention to the people to whom this really makes a difference and the people to whom we are serving. And so that was wonderful. It was a great feeling to know that that day, I was an instrument through which a message was spoken and, and, and a welcome was truly extended, you know. So that I encourage musicians, anyone listening who may be in that position, to welcome people by making an effort to learn a new song and to, to just put it out there and, and let, let it touch people's hearts. A question when it uh, comes to a bilingual mass, um, I remember being at Notre Dame uh, about 12 years ago, and we all, we had the discussion because it was still pretty new at that time, uh, and the church was growing. It's not what it is today. Things you have more resources available. Things are a little bit more sophisticated, and uh, which during that time we didn't have a whole lot. One person priest mentioned. He said, "Well, you know, it's like almost like half the story." And he was learning. He was learning uh, to uh, speak Spanish and working on it, and uh, practicing to do a mass in Spanish. Um, but he said, you know, what I've noticed, and this this is 12 years ago again. He said it seemed like they just get you get like half the story, or it's half the the glass. The the water's half full. They don't get the full uh, full mass itself. 
is that does that still resonate today? They only get half the story, or of course. the masses okay. Of course, that's that's what we get. After uh, and I'm telling, I'm in I'm in this all the time, and you go and minister at a bilingual service, a bilingual mass, and people will come to you and say exactly that same thing. Geez, I'm missing out on half of this stuff, and that's why some people choose not to go to bilingual masses. And my, you know strong response to that and, and reaction to that is, well, we need to let people know that it was never really about us understanding everything. That's not what coming together as a community yes. is. It is about making everyone feel welcome at the table and feel welcome at the church. And and what I tell people is, if you stop understanding something because at that moment the priest switched into the opposite language and you feel like, darn, I only got half of the message here. What's going on? Just keep in mind that at that very moment somebody else is being welcome. Somebody else is being reached out to. Somebody else is connecting with that same other half of the message that you were missing out on. And so your sacrifice becomes meaningful when you stop thinking about what you're missing and you start thinking about what someone else is gaining. And so that's a wonderful exchange, you know, that you can tell both language groups, listen, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about you understanding everything. It's about you being together as a community and worshiping together. And yeah, it's sacrificial, but it's very very profoundly meaningful. Wow. So you're in Detroit, right? I am in Detroit, and my parish is north of Detroit in, in Pontiac, Michigan. Okay. So, look, for example, we're, I'm in Texas, and, of course, we, we're closer uh, to – we have a huge Hispanic population in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I went to school in Kansas, and, you know, you have a certain population there. Is there a large community as you go – as north, because you're really, really north. Uh, is there a large community there where you are? Yes, and, uh, yeah, and, and growing, just like everywhere else. Wow. And in, in Kansas, I mean, you just mentioned Kansas, Kansas City, huge Hispanic community. Uh, I've been out there, and I've been to you, uh, to where you are. You're in Arlington, right? Yeah, I'm in Arlington, Texas. Yeah, I, I've been to both the Diocese of Fort Worth and Dallas many times to do work, and, and you, you're absolutely right. It, it's, it, the growth has been exponential in, in a lot of these places. And so the refreshing thing for us is, for me, I mean, I'm a traveling music minister, and when I go to places like Texas and Arizona and California where there's so much Hispanic presence, that is just a given. You don't have to be apologetic. You don't have to explain yourself. It's just a given. You do things bilingually. Everybody's part of the family. Everybody's welcome at the table, so you just do it. I think it's wonderful. It's very uplifting for me to, to, to go to those places and to, and to see a lot of that going on. But you know what comes to mind, Tim? One of the songs mm-hmm. that I send you is called Unidos. It's a bilingual song that just came out, and it speaks about mm-hmm. this very thing, how important it is to celebrate our unity. That is what we celebrate. When we're all together and we look different and we sound different and we're all trying to figure it out, the one redeeming factor here is that we are celebrating, in fact, that we are united. And that united in that struggle and in that trying to figure out things is where wonderful things happen. So if you can find that track united and played, I think it will be very much in the context of what we're talking about. Wow, I was going I wrote to it play with it anyway. my good, uh, Well, Jesse Manidusan, whom you may have heard of, he's a, a wonderful brother in Christ, traveling music minister, uh, mm-hmm. youth minister. He and I wrote this song together, and it's part of a new recording that we have out called precisely Unidos, entitled Unidos. And it talks about being united in faith, being united in, in song, being united in love, and, and, and really uh, making it work. Wow, we're going to go ahead and play the track. So we'll be back in a few minutes, and we're going to go ahead and play this track. Be back in a moment. Yeah. 
Make a 
Wow, that was really powerful. Tell us how this song came to you guys. Uh, well, Jesse and I started uh, uh, coinciding at, at these national events. You know, he was doing his uh, youth ministry thing, and I was doing my Hispanic ministry thing, and we were just ministering together all over the place, and realized that we had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, commonalities, a lot of things that we that we did that were basically the same, and we had a beautiful convergence of. Of, of ministry and, and mission, and we were both very passionate about bringing people together, and so we thought we'd team up and, and uh, write some songs and, and help uh, the church, help those parishes that you were speaking of earlier figure it out uh, through uh, accessible, simple music that anyone uh, could pick up and play. Uh, and like the one we heard sounds kind of involved with the horns and everything. It sounds kind of like a Santana Latin song. But in the end, yeah, it's kind of a it's, a it's a four four strum in a minor key that anyone could play with a guitar. It, it's really basically a, a simple song, and so are the rest of the songs in this particular recording. Because to us, the most important thing was to make this accessible to people who have that pastoral need right now, who need to solve this right now. You know, and so it was kind of a uh, coming up with a with a tool with a uh, uh, some uh, practical. Uh, music that folks could start, you know, singing. Well, how the how the music comes to you? Uh does it come in a a thought in the middle of the night or it comes in the thought in the middle of the day? Or how your music comes to you? Oh, good question. You know, sometimes we write songs based on need. We see that there's something lacking and that is something recurring that, that you need for, for mass. Sometimes it's a per, a reflection of a personal experience. Uh, sometimes it's just a melody that sticks in your mind and then you set words to it. Uh, in my case, almost always music comes to me first before the words. And then I set words that I think go with the music that, I, that I've, uh, you know, imagined or, or that I'm in the process of, of creating. Uh, but you're right, the way you mentioned it, as simple as that, a thought in the middle of the day, a thought in the middle of the night, something that you wake up with that is kind of stuck in your brain and you know that it's on its way to becoming something. Uh, I am very inspired by... Uh, the experiences that I have within the church. When I go to these events and I see all kinds of people gathered and worshiping in, in different ways and different styles, uh, that, that's really uplifting to me. So a lot of the music that I write has to do with, uh, you know, with, with, with unity and with discipleship and with, with uh, you know, coming together and, and, and praising together. Wow. So when you... It's easier for a musician to sit at the instrument and start playing. Uh, some people have the gift of just doing music. Some have the gift of being a lyricist. So if a person had that gift of just musically putting things together, uh, but not so good, it really is a struggle of coming with the dialogue, how you're going to tell your story. Musically, you know how to tell your story, but you can't do it in the sense of words. What's your what advice will you give to a person like that? Collabor who, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Okay. Team up with someone who has the opposite gift. Maybe there's someone out there who is like a poet, who has a really beautiful way of of phrasing things and and, and communicating things with a spoken word, with a written word, and uh, is just what you need as a musician. Uh, a lot of the work that we do is uh, collaboration. You know, if you look at the, uh, when you when you look at a hymn on your church and you see who wrote the music that you're singing, oftentimes it's more than one person because some people are wonderful lyricists and some people are wonderful musicians. 
or you can do what a lot of us do too, which is an adaptation of scripture. You can go to scripture and get inspired with a psalm or a uh, gospel or something, uh, a parable, and then figure out a way to either paraphrase it and tell your own story based on the Bible, on scripture, or to do it literally. And then it becomes something that can really be used effectively at Mass, as is the case with the responsorial psalm. If you do literally from the prescribed uh, uh, words that have, then, then it can be sung as part of the as part of the mass itself. Wow. When it comes to the the, the, the arrangements, there's one thing about um, musicians with you know you get your book, yeah, get the book. All the guitar things are in there. The the keyboard is in there. The vocal track uh, is all written out. But you don't get the whole uh, band behind it. Uh, do you know if <laughs> which is plus hey I just yeah, I just heard this track. I want exactly what you guys have just played so I can give it to my band. Do you think in the in the future O C P is gonna look at that look at it as a need? 'Cause you got you have the arrangements already. Uh start releasing they them do. for the people. Oh they, they do. do. That's uh that, oh yeah, they've come a long way. Sure. We have we have oh, wow. arrangements that you can download as PDF. We have everything. We have vocal arrangements, brass arrangements. We have rhythm section arrangements. We have all the works, yeah. So anyone looking to learn things exactly the way they were recorded can go on and sort through the through the database. And uh, you know, you you'll, most of the time you'll find exactly what what you're looking for. If not, sometimes we, you know, the composers, we hold on to those arrangements and those those chords or lead sheets or you know chord sheets or whatever. And upon request. We can provide them. Like I have, for instance, a cello part that somebody wrote for one of my songs, an arranger, and I have it here. It, you know, it's part of a recording, and nobody's ever asked for it. But if they did, I have it here, and I can send it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, at least that, uh, I know that. Now, do you have your own personal website as well? I do. I do. It's uh, SantiagoMusica.com, just like Santiago Music, music but with an A at mm-hmm. the end, SantiagoMusica.com. And, uh, of course, we have the OCP.org website where you can learn more about me and all the other musicians, folks that you will be interviewing later this week, OCP.org, and learn more about the wonderful work that OCP is doing to put these resources in the hands of people, to put these arrangements in the hands of musicians. And, and they really do a tremendous job staying up with the, uh, with the pastoral and musical needs out there. Do you think this is a renaissance of music all of a sudden? Um we're 15 years later, 16 years later, um, that is a renaissance of Flori Canto, uh, the style of music or Hispanic music, or we're just in the evolution getting started? Wow, what a what an interesting question. I think that <clears throat> we're in the middle of an evolution. I think that Hispanic music has been around for a while, I think that now more than ever, and this is really wonderful for those of us in ministry, it has its rightful place in Catholic repertoire in the United States where you can pick up any hymnal by any of the three major publishers and see that it includes, in fact, a lot of Spanish music or bilingual music, whereas that didn't really happen even 10 years ago. You had to buy a specifically Hispanic resource. Now it's really everywhere. And so I think that it's an evolution. I think it will continue to evolve. I don't think that... We're there yet, but I think that Floricanto, this third edition that you're speaking of, is a representation of what the church looks like and sounds like today in the United States. Will it be revised? Will, it, will, there, will there be a fourth edition? No, then no doubt. Who knows when, but I'm sure that we will continue to evolve 
as the church evolves and the needs, of course, uh, become different needs, you know, 10, 15 years from now. Floricanto 2 was a phenomenal success. And Floricanto 1 even more. I mean, that was a turning point in the way people worship and praise in Spanish in the United States. The first one in 1989, the second one in 2000, 2001, and then this one that just came out now. So I would imagine that in another 10 or 15 years, it'll be a different picture that we'll be painting with a new uh, resource that, that reflects the, the, the current reality of the church. Okay, it's time to play another track. So what do you want me to play next? Why don't you play Veni Sígueme? Veni Sígueme uh, is a song that folks can find in the hymnals. It's in Floricanto. Okay. It's in uh, many other resources that you can find in the pew. And this is a very lively rhythm, a Latin rhythm called a cumbia that I'm sure you've, you've heard living in Texas, you know, of course. Uh, and and it's, it's a wonderful song about discipleship where Jesus is saying, come and follow me, leave everything behind and truly follow follow me. I will give you life. I will give you everything that you need. And so it's uh, it's a Spanish song, and, and it's become a well-known song in, in throughout the United States. Okay. How did this one come to you? This one uh, came to me, uh, I was just inspired by this message of, of discipleship. And I realized that a lot of the songs that we have, Come Follow Me, are in the context of like a funeral. You know, I will give you eternal life. Come home mm-hmm. to me, come follow me. And I thought, well, this is a very proactive invitation. I'm not calling it. It should be a very proactive response on our part to this ongoing invitation by Jesus to follow. And so I wanted it to be real festive and, and real lively. And that's why the cumbia came to me. Okay, great. Now, while we're going to play this track real quick, uh, I'm going to, uh, right after this break, we're going to talk about uh, how can I teach my pastor. Uh, to move away from the European effect of music, that this is not the same thing we have in the Latin culture. So I'll give you a chance to think about that. Uh, you know, it's not an anthem. <laughs> the music goes styles and on the anthem. It's not slow and methodic, but it's it's living and it's moving. So we're going to play this next track real quick, and we'll be back in uh, four minutes. <laughs> Yeah. 
that have to do with a calling and with a, with a uh, you know changing your life and, and following God. I mean, it's really powerful. Uh, I, I was uh, doing an event in in the uh, Northwest, and I was in a diocese where uh, it was sort of segregated, very segregated actually. And I went into a suburban parish where they had the diocese had had decided that, that was a good location for folks to come to this thing, and it was going to be an evening of praise, mostly Spanish songs like the one we just heard. And there were some some uh, women there getting things ready, uh, uh, the parish, you know, cleaning, whatever. And they were outraged when they heard me warming up. And they came and complained to the diocesan person who was there with me. And we explained to them that it, it wasn't, you know, profane in any way. It was just a different way of expressing who we are as a community. And, uh, you know, we were able to, to, uh, to talk to them, and, and they understood things, and they probably learned to see things from a different angle and, and, and sort of, you know, remove th- th- themselves and their comfort zone from the equation and just make way for somebody else to express uh, their uh, faith musically in a very, very different style and different way. Uh, but anyway, all of that to say, you're right, when it's just obnoxious and loud, let's do away with it. When it's just an expression of faith, hey, they ask me, can we play electric guitar at Mass? Well, yeah, especially if it's a youth Mass. Sure, that speaks right directly to who, to who uh, young people are and what they're all about. Now, you know, if you want to play the guitar at the 7 a.m. Mass on Sunday morning where the median age of the congregation is 70, you know, you're on your own, they're going to run for their lives. So, I mean, we, we have to be pastoral in what we do, but uh, I think there's room for everything. Wow. It's a strange balance between the fine line, like it's the hate and love, <laughs> and it's almost like a fine line with music because you're, it depends if you're in that genre, if that if you're in that age, if you have the like minds at that particular mass. Now, we can take some of the, the biggest churches in the country, uh, Catholic and non-Catholic, and someone will say, Lakewood is a performance church, which if you look at the at reaction of their faces in the the assembly, they're worshiping. You take another sense if you go into a um, the National Cathedral. They do high church things. They have full orchestra, uh, orchestra or, uh, organ, and so forth, and we can consider that uh, a high piece, high church piece. We can consider that as a performance. Different genre, but they have the like minds because they come for that particular thing. Uh, let's go even go to Britain when the Queen had her jubilee. Uh, they were having church. They were singing uh, God Save the Queen. Um, it was done extremely well. It was done preferably if everybody was understanding. How can a person judge what is performance? What is ministry? I think for for starters, with an open mind and an open heart, just because it's different than what you're used to, it doesn't mean that it's a joke or it's a mockery. And that's that's I think the the the, the bad thing here is that people who look at something or hear something that, that is so different from their tradition, they start judging instantly, uh, and you never know. I'll share with you briefly an experience. I was in Australia at World Youth Day uh, ministering, and I was working. I was the music minister at a parish that had been designed as catechetical sites. It was an English-speaking parish. I had kids from Malaysia, Zimbabwe, and Canada. 
and I was in charge of the music, and we held these bishops from all over the world come, coming to preside and to, to teach catechesis. And one day, we had an American bishop, a very prominent American bishop, coming to the parish, and uh, I was, you know, I was in charge of the music for animation, for the liturgy and everything, so I was, I was, I was a little nervous that, you know, I needed things to work out well, and, and I felt a certain commitment to our American church being out there and everything. And these, these kids from Africa, from Zimbabwe, approached me to say, can we do a song after communion? And I thought, oh boy. Uh, and I just said, sure. I figured this is their thing, not my thing. Sure, do it. And I know what my preconceived notion of a post-communion song is and sounds like. Well, they approached the music ministry area with drums and all this stuff, and I thought, oh my goodness, what is this going to be? And they broke into song, drumming and clapping and singing, and, and it was the most profoundly spiritual thing I'd ever seen a youth, a music youth group do in my life. It was life-changing. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, how how bad that I had this, this, this notion that if it was if it was a post-communion song, it needed to be prayerful and slow and solemn here they brought something to the table that was so unique and so beautiful and I let it happen just by letting them have their space. I thought that was my duty as a music minister at World Youth Day. And so if people learn to do that, to open up and to say, you know what, let's let them have their space and their opportunity to speak who they are and to let us know who they truly are, that's what's life-changing. So we all approach the differences in style and music and, and, and worship with that open mind and that open heart. I think that we will have a lot less conflict. Wow. Any last minute, uh, any last words you'd like to have? Uh, of course, we went over your website. You mentioned your personal website and also your OCP website. Any advice you have of the upcoming musician, person who's looking to come into liturgical music uh, in the Hispanic uh, genre, what advice would you give that person? My advice would be stop thinking about it and do it because there's a huge need out there. I mean, huge, especially if you have this joy. Everything starts with joy and love inside of you. If you have this burning desire to share and to sing and to help people pray in song, then you got everything you need. Everything else can be learned. There's resources for everything. To learn bilingual music, to learn the Euro-American repertoire, to learn Vietnamese songs, to learn chant, to learn... I mean, it's all out there as tools to grow in your ministry, but what you need is that burning desire, and if anyone listening has that burning desire to get in, get in now. You won't regret it. Wow. And uh, we have a question here regarding ritual music. It, uh, some of the Florikantu address some of the ritual needs. Are there any bilingual uh, ritual songs that I can use in my community, uh, like Christ Be Our Light? Uh, that's by, already written bilingual. Absolutely. A lot of the famous, well-known ritual songs in Spanish have been adapted into English and vice versa. So, I mean, there are songs for baptism, for RCIA. There are songs for uh, communion. Uh, one of them that became very popular some 10 years ago is Amen el Cuerpo de Cristo. That is really kind of uh, goes back and forth in English and Spanish, and it's a wonderful communion song. And a lot of the songs that we know, like Here I Am, Lord, Be Not Afraid, One Bread, One Body, they're all available bilingually. And, and similarly in Spanish, songs like the one I mentioned to you, Pescador de Hombres, Caminaré, Una Espiga, uh, songs that are really well-known to the Hispanic community are now translated into English so that we can have this wonderful exchange of not just the song, but what the song represents, our heritage, our background, our cultural identity. Okay. And is, are there any musician groups? I know NPM has a musician group in the forum they can follow. Uh, if they had a general question, uh, of course, they can contact you. 
but is there any other type of websites they can go to to try to find some additional resources? Well, they can go to the OCP.org website and and, mm -hmm. and see some links and find some resources. There is a Hispanic Association of Pastoral Musicians too. Um, I don't I don't know the website by heart, but but uh, you can find it. Uh, uh, you know, online there's also the Hispanic Institute uh, Instituto de Liturgia that I'm sure has links. But anyway, all that you can find out by going to OCP.org and OCPenespanol.org. If you speak Spanish, there's a, a, a website entirely in Spanish that OCP maintains as well. Great, no problem. Well, give, give us your website again. Your personal my website. website. My personal is SantiagoMusica.com. Great. Well, I really appreciate the uh, 45 minutes we spend, a little bit past 45 minutes, going over your music and going over your life and talking about pastoral music as a whole. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim, uh, for, for having me today, and blessings to you and your good work. Uh, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Have Bye. a great day. Bye-bye. Again, thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with uh, Tim Jacquet. That was uh, Santiago. Uh, Fernandez. Uh, you can go to OCP site and grab uh, some information about him and his music. Guys, thank you all for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening, rather. And uh, again, uh, tune in all week at 11 o'clock Central, and uh, we will have some more of OCP artists on the air talking about Hispanic music. Everybody have a great day. Take care. This is the Core Business Show with Tim J.K. Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.